He started racing in 1952, and you know, it was like Picasso, like a great artist doing his work. And he was in that car, he was doing his work. There were two words that were forbidden for us to use growing up in the Scott household. Those words were can't and never. In spite of the many obstacles, struggles, and hardships he faced, he persevered. And what seemed to be insurmountable odds to others, Daddy considered an opportunity. Did he ever consider not racing anymore? Never. That was one of my daddy's saying. When it's too tough, everybody else is just right for me. Welcome to another episode of Victory Lane Vibes. We are your hostesses with the mostesses. I'm Jared. I have Arthur with me. Danny's here. Um, you know it's February 1st, so we got to kick off Black History Month in a big way if you know how we do things here. Um, so I want to introduce you all to um, a gentleman by the name of Warwick Scott. He's joined us this afternoon. Um, so, Mr. Scott, you may or may not know, but we use a snippet of a Wendell interview in our introduction. Um, we sort of lead through Black excellence in motorsports um, prior to us starting our show. So you'll, you'll hear that once this episode's released. Um, okay. So wow. our listeners probably know your, you know, you and your your family's work with with Bubba and with most recently Raja and, um, and his efforts in the truck series. But enlighten us on what you do, what you guys stand for on a on a day to day basis when it's not NASCAR related. Ah, okay, okay. Well, uh, thanks for having me. Um, and, and what's up to everybody out there listening? Day to day, I'm. I'm a husband and father, you know, first. Um, and so that's really where my day begins and it and it ends. I, you know, I have a wonderful family, a daughter and two sons. Um, they play basketball. I'm actually a um, high school basketball coach as well. Um, that keeps me very busy. Um, so we're doing all of the normal family things, uh, you know, back and forth to school back and forth to games. Um, my wife and I run the Wendell Scott Foundation, which is uh, kind of the energy source or the life force behind kind of like the evolution of Wendell Scott, if you will. And so we, you know, we spend our professional time um, doing a myriad of different things um, on the nonprofit side. You know, I am on both sides of the fence, whether it is you know, the licensing and the branding of my grandfather's name or, uh, you know, what his what his legacy means um, in the world of philanthropy or or community support. Um, so I kind of wear all of those different hats. Um, you know, I'm a laid back kind of fellow. I love music. You know, I love um, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm a sociable type of guy. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I'm just everyday people, just like anybody else. I just so happen to love the sport of NASCAR and have a, you know, have a unique connection <laughs> uh, to the sport. That's awesome. Uh, Art, go ahead, kick us off. Yeah, so I, just before we hit record, I was telling Warwick that this is on my Mount Rushmore of interviews of drivers or people involved in the sport of racing. Um, so I'm just thrilled to have you here. Um, so I'm sure most of our audience knows, but I'm gonna just give them the quick background. Your grandfather, Wendell Scott, um, first black driver to win a race in NASCAR, December 1st, 
1963, won the race by two laps, very infamously did not receive the trophy. They would not give it to him out of fear that would cause, you know, a race riot at the track. Um, so one thing that really stood out to me once I got back into racing was f learning the story about Wendell. Because um, when I first started getting into racing, you know, I didn't know anything about that. I was just a kid. I just never thought, oh, there must have been some black drivers before I became a fan. Um, so learning that story later in life uh, was one, just super inspiring to see that he had had that success um, and learning about all the things that he overcame, not having sponsors, et cetera, building his own car outrunning the cops, like all of those stories I just think are so fascinating as a personality. Um, and but then I remember seeing relatively recently uh, in 2021 that you and your family received a trophy um, and the trophy that he should have earned, you know, 60 years later, uh, which I just think is I'm glad that NASCAR did. it. I wish they did it 20, 60 years earlier. But um, I guess all that leads to my question is, uh, you know, during that time, you know, that that period of time between that race and you guys getting that trophy. Um, how close were you, your father as well? How close were you to racing um, during that time gap? Because and like me personally, I don't think I would have taken that as well or as classy as you guys did. Um, <laughs> I might have been outside the track with a, a mega horn, you know, raising sand every Sunday. So I'm just curious, was, was racing something that you guys still always had a passion for? Or did you feel like I need to get away from this for a little while? I uh great question. I'm we've always been affiliated or intertwined with the sport. Um it our inclusion in the sport picked up in the late 90s. Um my late uncle Wendell Jr., who is um many things to the sport of NASCAR. Um and I would like to touch on that later on in this segment, but in the spirit of what I'm saying, I'll keep going. My late uncle Wendell Jr. was one of the um one of the first. He was in the he was in the original group of NASCAR diversity uh employees. He was one of the people that worked with NASCAR diversity from since its inception or, or as we as we know it now. Um, and so he was involved in the sport for many years. Um, I have an aunt, my aunt Sybil, she was also involved with, you know, different things um, that NASCAR would do from time to time um, in the honor of my grandfather's legacy. Um, you know, I took it, I didn't like it <laughs> either. Okay, let me say that. I didn't like it either. I probably disliked him not receiving his trophy um the perception of who he was uh the things that were left out about his career that i feel like were very important all of those things i despise those things um because i grew up with my grandfather he passed away when i was 13 years old um and up until that point he and i out of a seven day week we were probably together five to six days a week for various different reasons, whether that was taking me to school in the morning or picking me up after school or, you know, just, you know how it is. If you have grandparents, you just would certain, certain kids grow up around their grandparents. And I was one of those kids. So a lot of his hopes and dreams and things that happened to him um, 
high points of his life as well. It was all given to me on a silver platter. It was all relived with me and explained to me, you know, on beautiful sunny days and rainy nights and snowy afternoons or whatever, because I'm just in the car with my papa. All right. And we're just rolling. My, my father was a high school basketball coach. Um, and so he loved basketball and he loved watching my father coach. He coached at a little small school called Laurel Park High School in Martinsville, Virginia. And it was something about, you know, we were a little small school that had the capability to beat bigger schools. And I think my grandfather fell in love with that because that's kind of how his racing career was. And a lot of those high schools that we played at were in the in the regions of Virginia and North Carolina in which his career started. And I didn't realize that then as a child, but now looking back on it, you know, the level of comfort he had in those regions was astonishing to me. Um, and so when I got older and when I became a young adult, I began to look for pathways into kind of working with NASCAR. One time it was my dream to work for NASCAR. And I tried very hard to make that come to fruition. Um, but for, for various reasons, I guess it just never happened. Um, and so I always had a void uh, in regards to how I felt included in the sport, how my siblings, how my cousins, you know, how we felt you know about it because nascar is a family you know it's a family sport it's a family affair you know if you got yeah. 10 cousins yeah. and nascar all 10 of the cousins are at the you know yeah at the race track um over time i learned how to kind of channel my energies into not so much focusing on the problem but focusing on the solution and this is when the wendell scott foundation was born um, I, I, I gained a partner, a true partner, a true friend, a true, you know, a, a true ride or die. I gained that in my wife. Um, and we embarked on this journey to create the Wendell Scott Foundation, which was really founded in honor of my grandfather's legacy and all of the things that he stood for. But it was also a way for us to begin to share with the world what our true identity is and who we really are and what we're really capable of and how and how his success has has trip has transitioned and, and trickled down into the next generation of scots um and so Arthur, i can see you got that number 24 on your wall back there behind you now you know i love that um that 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 moment was for us symbolic of all the things that my grandfather had gone through but also how far we've come um, kind of a long answer to a short question but yeah no yeah i i just find that fascinating and you know my i've told this story on the show i think when we started but my grandfather's what got me into racing um and i lived with him until he passed away when i was 15. Yeah. So okay. there were some parallels there. We used to, we'd watch the races together till he was old, too old to, to watch it. We listened to it on the radio because, and that's how I got into like um, uh, listening to NASCAR on the radio is because they painted a better picture for him. Yes. And so like we were able to just bond over that, you know, and he was the driving force for my love of it. 
um and you know he grew up in like the richard petty era like he grew up in your father your grandfather's era um of racing and so i just find it fascinating and yeah you know this is a a piece of for context for the listeners i have a a door off a raja truck that is the uh the wendell scott foundation scheme uh i'm very proud of that piece it stays in the background of all of uh my calls just because it that piece really means a lot to me um and i just love the fact that the foundation exists and the work that it's doing for racing um i just think it's so important uh you know for people of color minorities whatever you need some kind of support so often in these spaces uh you just need an advocate to help push for you just to give you a shot uh, you know you're not asking for more you're just asking for equal and sometimes that push is what gets you to equal um yes. so i just really commend the work that you guys are doing uh, you know it's so important and We've talked to some drivers who have been through the NASCAR uh, Drive for Diversity. We, we can touch on that in a minute. But, uh, you know, the fact is that this is now a real viable route that drivers have um, to have these opportunities that they never would have gotten before. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of talent out there. And we've talked about on here as well before about, you know, there could be a 10 time champion out there and just doesn't know NASCAR or doesn't have a shot at it. You know, like there's so much talent and ability in a lot of these kids at such a young age um, and they just don't get a chance and they end up doing something else in their life, which may be fulfilling, but you never know what could be. Um, so for to see guys get those shots, I just think is super rewarding for me. You know, I always wanted to be a driver growing up. My my parents were like, that's not in the cards. You're going to college. So uh, I kind of live vicariously through a lot of these other guys, uh, seeing them be able to have those opportunities. Awesome, man. Thank you for saying that. Danny, what you got? Yes, but uh, certainly, and to piggyback off of uh, Arthur's point just a little bit, I run uh, a a different show, um, and we talk about it all the time, and even in sports car and open wheel, that there is, uh, there are some hugely, hugely talented folks out there, but, you know, just through the, due to lack of funding, um, and just a general lack of opportunity, so many of those people never really go anywhere in uh, their respective discipline, just sort of as a direct result of that, um, you know, certainly, you know, and I'm sure, you know, you know, just as well as anybody, uh, sort of in all respective spheres of motorsports, there's still uh, a way to go, but it's it's fantastic to see people uh, fighting the good fight, uh, if you will. But um, my big thing was, uh, I wanted to ask you about, um, to tell me more about Born Driven, uh, your book. Um, yes. I heard when that was getting uh, released at the uh, tail end of uh, last year, and I think that is uh, so wonderful. Um, but just if you could walk me through sort of the um, the kind of the creation of that, uh, I would love that. Well, yeah, I, I, okay, great question. So, Born Driven chronicles and details my grandfather's true childhood. Um. The story that is told in Born Driven is a is a true story. Um, the names in the book include all types of different uh, points of homage to my family's legacy. For example, uh, the sisters the sisters that are named in the book are his real sisters, and that is their real names. Um, there are certain parts of the book that visually are identical to certain places in where we're in, in the town where we're from which is danville virginia um there are certain sayings in the book um 
that are that are my grandfather's actual sayings and mottos and credos that he that he went by or goes by that have been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, the story itself, even how my grandfather became proficient in mechanics and became an automotive savant, all of those things in the book are real, including the fact that he learned about a car itself from my great grandfather. Um, all of those things are true. Um, and then we also, we wanted to may have a youthful perspective. Um, and so we actually um, had a young man who wrote the book who was in high school. It was a senior year of high school. Um, Saxton, Saxton Moore Jr. Saxton is currently a freshman at Morehouse, Morehouse College in Atlanta. Um, the book itself, um, because it's Black History Month, is very important. Uh, the book itself was done in partnership with a group called Lion Forge Animation. Um, and they are the largest uh, African-American owned uh, like animation, uh, graphic novel uh, firm slash company in the United States. Uh, so we're real, we're really proud of it. It, it. it can be purchased wherever books are sold. Um, we've been doing some great read alongs um, and story times with different groups of um, elementary students. Uh, been given out we've given out a thousand plus books already um you know it's it's amazing to see my grandfather's story resonate with kindergartners and first graders and second graders uh, and you know we're really um we're really proud of that of that step there are there are two other children's books that one would find if they researched my grandfather's name uh and I'll just say those books, like many other things associated with our legacy, were done without our knowledge, without our permission, without our notification, uh, unfortunately. So, but that's kind of the Wendell Scott story. You know what I mean? Um, but part of what we're doing is, is working to streamline those type of things and make sure that they become they occur less and less going forward sure yeah because it was wonderful i saw because uh, i heard uh shortly before christmas when the uh uh book was released and you know in the second week uh of december and actually recommended it to uh, i have a local uh kind of mom and pop bookstore that's uh mm -hmm. in the area that i uh, do a lot of work with uh okay sort of for my day job and i was like okay well you guys should really pick this up so they said that they thank ordered a copy oh yeah absolutely thank you, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that and, and uh we're looking at having it on the list of the uh, saturday morning read-alongs for the kiddos uh that wow. we do every week so okay well you but, feel free to you, you will you feel free to conduct the read-along why don't you read you know you read you read the book to the kids on our behalf that'd be awesome <laughs> absolutely i can do that <laughs> perfect perfect but um but yeah i thought that was just so wonderful to have a story about uh wendell and a very uh just very wonderful kind of digestible uh kids format <laughs> thank you thank you for that i wanted to uh circle back um i know you had touched on previously about uh your uncle and his work with nascar and nascar's diversity program i wanted to circle back and ask you um if you wanted to to shed some more light on that 
on that side of things for you and your family? Yeah, well, you know, my 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 uncle was a lot. My uncle and my father were when he was and my father is. They are the first uh, among the the first NASCAR pit crewmen in the history of the sport. The Wendell Scott pit crew is the first African American pit crew in the sport, and we see the pit crew. Uh, that that those places are where uh, the African American has thrived more than any place in NASCAR. Um, but we we oftentimes very rarely have ever hear my father or my uncle recognized as the first in that capacity. And so it's just important that, you know, we continue to lift up their names as well. You know, Scott racing was a family affair. My grandfather didn't do it by himself that uh, he did. He led everything. He did mostly everything, but as his sons, you know, grew and, became young men they were very instrumental in what he was doing and really enduring it during some of his most prolific years um in the 60s my uncle Wendell also raced for my grandfather so when you hear that he that Wendell Scott was a, was the first african-american nascar team owner in the sport which is 500 percent true no doubt um it wasn't just be it wasn't a technicality you know, he actually had uh, legends like Earl Brooks out of Lynchburg, Virginia, um, raced for Scott Racing. Bobby Fleming raced for Scott Racing. And then his son, Wendell Scott Jr., also raced for Scott Racing. He raced in the K&E, the K&N East Series um, a couple of times. And so he certainly most ethically may hold a distinction that he's never associated with, which is being certainly a NASCAR driver, but no doubt, uh, you know, coming in right behind my grandfather, it was a gap. <laughs> it was a big gap in between my granddad and, you know, who came next. So. Good. Art. Yeah. So I just had one other question, you know, I think, I think it's real easy and you you really kind of alluded this to my earlier question but it's it's real easy for for like me or like other black nascar fans to look at figures like your grandfather um and we hold them in such high regard because of the groundbreaking work that they do and rightly so but i think it's very often that we just know them as these figures these mythical figures that have done this great work but we don't know them as people right like you knew them as like you said pop pop right um and you know him as a as a person as a man which i think it just is such a a unique perspective that you know 99.9 percent .9 of us don't know so i guess from that point of view how do you think your grandfather would feel about the work that's been put into nascar to improve the diversity improve the inclusion of it um how would he feel about the found Wendell scott foundation i i don't know if that's a thing you guys talked about with him while he was still with us but you know, how would he feel about that, about, you know, Bubba's success, Roger's success? You know, what would he his take be on that? There was a, um, you know, as far as the foundation goes, you know, it, it, it gives me great joy and great pride when I think about what he would think. Um, 
but he was very profound in the sense of he always predicted things was things would happen and so he knew that his legacy would one day you know trend or get more exposure uh you know he you gotta remember he he had a whole movie about him the year that i was born i mean i'm much older than you guys i'm sure but i mean you know in 1977 uh, richard pryor famous comedian richard pryor played my grandfather in Grease lightning so he had already seen what his legacy you know had created or, or or how far it would go all the way to the silver screen uh film and just the way hollywood treats the african-american story had not developed like it has now or in some cases like it has it's depending upon what project you're watching i think that perspective could be debatable however he was aware that you know that he was doing something special and I think he was proud of that, knowing when you think about when you get to the end of your rope and you're thinking about what are you leaving behind? What does your legacy say? What does your stamp mean? He knew. And in the conversations that he had with me, and I don't I don't I'm not saying he didn't have these conversations with other members of the family. I'm saying what he had with me in the conversations he had with me. He was preparing me for something as i went through as i went through my teen years and through my 20s and 30s i kind of was always wondering it always had a void in my life kind of like what 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 is that one thing for me and with the creation of the foundation and us being able to pour all of his historical equity into the cause you know, and what is the cause? The cause is securing a better today and a better tomorrow for people that feel like they're the underdog or underserved or underprivileged, whoever, whatever, whoever feels like whoever's been written off or told that they can't or they won't. That's what we exist for. You know, and it's in this in to me, it's supernatural. You know, it goes beyond the realm of, of, of physicality for me. You know, um, it's almost like when it comes to my granddad, you know, it puts me in another dimension almost. You know, thankfully for me, thank thankfully for the cause, the pursuit of it is to help somebody. All right. Because that's all he ever did, his entire his his entire career, you research him, his entire career what you will find is good deed after good deed, tolerance after tolerance, stick to fearlessness, perseverance, the ability to long suffer, you know, the, the ability to absorb pain and unsavory, unsavory circumstances in a world-class manner because he was dealing with world-class racism and world-class oppression. This is what he was dealing with. He had to be a protector because he had his sons with him. So no matter what was going on, corner of his eye and the back of his mind, my sons are over there. All right. So when you, you know, 
when you really look at it and you ask what would he think about NASCAR today, I think he would be uh I think he would be really pleased. Uh it's a two-part answer. I think he would be really pleased. And what makes me feel like that is because the Wendell Scott that raised me, he didn't see African American legal counsel. He didn't see African-American executive in the sport. He didn't see African-American broadcaster. He didn't see African-American pit crew. If it wasn't with us, Af African-American track official, Kirk Price. Right now in NASCAR, African-American track official, Kirk Price. I'm saying his name because there's certain people within the sport. Amanda Oliver, African-American legal counsel, NASCAR. Brandon Thompson, African-American VP of Diversity Affairs, NASCAR. And I'm just saying some of these names because the overall consumer may not be aware, you know, of that type of progress. I'm naming one to point out and to highlight that there are others besides them. I named different people that are operating in different divisions of this corporation. Right. And none of those things existed when my grandfather was racing. And so because of that. And the reason Wendell Scott's legacy is also oh powerful is because it is part of the it's kind of like part of the molecular DNA of the sport. It's one of the foundational pieces of the sport. Beyond victories, beyond point standings. You know, so that's why. For the, for the moments in time where it appeared as though the legacy was not acknowledged, it may not have been acknowledged, but you can't kill it. You know, it'll never die. It will never die because of guys like, because of y'all, right? Generationally, it, you know, and so now, now what, what he would be disappointed in is the fact that Right now, there's still only one African-American racing on Sunday. Right. I think he would want to see a, 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 a scenario and circumstances where when the starting field lines up, there's a multitude of different types of people. Out there racing. Right. Um, but that's not a. First of all, that's not a blame. It's a fact. Second of all. You know, the regime that is leading uh, NASCAR at this point had absolutely nothing to do with, <laughs> you know, what was happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even some of the ones from the past, I mean, you know, I think the thing about my granddad, and this is a quality that I think I picked up, and I get this all the time from people, is how do you all stay so bubbly or so... You know, kind of like a, certain things that are, that bother that bother a Wendell Scott fan it doesn't appear to bother us as much, and it's not that it maybe doesn't bother us; it's, it's that we learned how to deal with unsavory situations from the man. He was the man. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He was a giant. You know, we just had an article come out today, um, in the Washington Post. Uh, to kick off Black History Month on my granddad. And, it, you know, I, I encourage you all to um, 
you know, to like it and share it and read it or whatever. But, it, you know, it really talks about just the legend that he was and the type of giant he was. You know, he was such a good race car driver. He was a doggone genius. He was an engineering savant. You know, he was a boxer. Hey, man, he was one of the he was one of the big dog hustlers. I mean, he was one of the top notch hustlers in the game. You know, with moonshine and bootleg. I mean, he was, you know, it. You know, in pop culture now, we love the hustler that turned good, right? We love Jay Z, right? Jay went with, you know, my grandfather was, you know, way before all of that. If you think about someone, a black man, born in the last capital of the Confederacy, Danville, Virginia. Who operates a moonshine syndicate from Baltimore, Maryland to Charlotte, North Carolina. Only gets caught by the police one time while he's hustling. This is in the Washington Post article. I encourage you to read it. Gets indicted. One time. Three years probation. Gets the opportunity to come race at NASCAR's rival the dixie circuit the dixie circuit was with whom rivaled nascar become the first african-american in the race at least in the south in that capacity in the dixie 12 days later he's won his first race he won his first race in lynchburg no in lynchburg virginia 12 days later he wins his, he wins his first race that guy ends up becoming the first african-american team owner and race car driver to ever compete in NASCAR and the only African-American inducted into the International Motorsports Hall of Fame, the NASCAR Hall of Fame, and multiple other Hall of Fames. Major motion pictures, Grease Lightning, Cars 3, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, man, that's the hustle of the hustle story. That's what, Amer that's what, we, that's what we love in America. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, so... To your to your viewers and stuff, you know what I want to say to people listening is my grandfather was not a one trick pony. That Jacksonville race was it was is is that race is enshrined in sports history and will forever, you know, in my opinion, you know, be a beacon of light in regards to being able to achieve against all odds. That is true. That is no doubt one hundred percent true. However, however. He did so many things that were amazing. That sometimes I feel like the Wendell Scott fan only learns that and then they stop learning about him. You know, because did I say that he did all of this without the benefit of ever having a sponsor? You can't even fathom that in today's time. Yeah. You can't fathom it. <laughs> so. Dan, you got uh, you got anything else before we uh, move on? Well, actually, I do. Um, so after um, Warwick, after you mentioned it, I went ahead and pulled up the uh, Washington Post article, and <clears throat> it is it is absolutely fabulous to see. I mean, you know, granted, you know, this is you know, you know. 2000 words, you know, give or take, but it is still fantastic to see a um, pretty succinct um, sort of 
encapsulation of sort of Wendell and who he was as, you know, a race car driver. Um, you know, granted, um, you know, you talk about kind of, you know, kind of how pe people learned him and then, you know, sort of stopped doing, which was, you know, very much the case. You know, you mentioned this one, you mentioned Cars 3, because it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to sort of figure out. It's like, okay, I recognize everybody else. Right. And I'm like, this number 34 looks vaguely familiar. And then, you know, a bit of Googling, you know, who is this meant to be? It's like, oh, my goodness, it's Wendell. Right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And it's so no, it's cool to to see this, and especially to see this in one place. This is actually this was very well put together. Um, sort of talking about Wendell and through his uh, through his career, and uh, sort of just his general career trajectory. But you know, I don't know. Maybe seeing stuff like that, watching you guys be super active, you know, with Bubba now with Raja, and just kind of moving forward, you know. Branching out feels like the wrong phrase to use, but certainly as it feels like just the baseline level of societal awareness. Granted, that's a bit wordy, but that's probably the best way I can think to phrase that. Um, as that continues to increase, you know, maybe we'll see more stuff like this kind of going forward. Um, honestly, like a whole book, uh, and I mean like proper long form, you know, multi-chapter, basically biography about him, I think would be absolutely fantastic. I no, you know, and just based on the people, even some of the folks who are left who are around him. And as these stories have been passed down, I'm sure there's some wild stories about Wendell. <laughs> yes. Can you uh, can you tell real quickly, because uh, I know we're, we're getting near the end of the time and I don't want to hold you super long, but there's a story I heard probably two years ago. I, it was around the time you and, and your father were doing some interviews and they told a story. It might have been your father told a story about um uh, somebody pulled up alongside him on the track they were going to do something he pulled out the heater this and is true. uh can you can you share yeah. that story just for our audience please um it's always easier when my dad is sitting next to me he always gets the dates and the tracks and in the, in the <laughs> cities right but there was a um there was a driver who um you know my granddad didn't have he had problems with probably if you had to put it in a percentage he probably had he had issues with probably maybe 15% of, you know, who was competing. But that 15% was a consistent, you know, type of issue. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that because of the, because at the time, from a societal perspective, A black life cost nothing. It was, it was just nothing. And so, when he was invited to race in the beginning, even in the very beginning, it was not so he could have an opportunity to chase his dreams. It was, but it was purely for entertainment and ticket sales and concession sales. To give you an example. There wasn't a public posting or a flyer on a pole saying, "Hey, we're looking for the Negro." Is they would call it. Is they say we're, we're looking for Negroes who want a chance to drive at the Danville Speedway. Or the Danville. That was not the case. They went to the police department, and 
asked which drivers had the worst speeding records or who was most reckless. And this is how they got my grandfather's name. But when he went to the track, it was designed for him to be ran off the track or flipped or humiliated or whatever. Obviously, it was not designed for him to be successful. This is where his legend begins. Uh, and so there were times where he was wrecked. He was wrecked or they attempted to wreck him for sport. Sometimes that algorithm didn't work because if you're wrecking him, you could call someone else to wreck who is, who may be a part of that network. And so the way he drove was also very strategic, very strategic, the way he drove. It probably made him a more ingenuitive type of driver because, you know, in all sports, you know, they say, what, is, is, what they say, your best defense is your offense and your best offense is your defense or vice versa. So he had to master both at the same time. There was a driver named Jack Smith who was throughout the racing channels known to be a wild guy off the track. Wild boy stood on business, you know, felt how he felt, you know, had some, uh, maybe had a little backing. You know, for some guys, wrecking a car didn't matter. They may be elevated in their social circles if they sacrifice their automobile for that day just to get that black guy off the track or to humiliate him. And so my granddad just really got tired of it because you got to remember he's coming to the track. This is his income. This is how he's feeding his family. This began to affect his, his positioning and, and his purse. And so there was a time where uh, the race began, the race is about to begin. Uh, you know, Jack Smith begins to start it up again. Here you go. He about to try to do it again. And my grandfather did pull out, as I described it on the Brandon Marshall, uh, I am athlete piece we did. He pulled out the yapa <laughs> or the, you know, or the pistoli or whatever you want to call it, the gat. He went and got the gat <laughs> and he had it under his seat and he pulled it out and he, he told him, you know, if you wreck me today or you try to wreck me, chitty, chitty, bang, bang. You know what I mean? And <laughs> and that really happened. He really did not try to wreck him anymore. Uh, and he went and raced that day. That just that just lets you know how much of a, of a wild, wild west outlaw kind of environment NASCAR was. I mean, listen, what I tell people all the time, especially African-American groups of people, when they hear this story, it kind of gets... You know, they get they get mad. And what I try to describe to people is we're not talking about no weak men either. We're not talking about, you know, this is savage land. This is, you know, these are some tough guys he's dealing with. Yeah. You know what I mean? These ain't no pushovers. Um, But like I said, the majority of those people, that, I ain't saying they would help them, but they wouldn't hurt them. Yeah. You see. Uh, but there was a small percentage that, meant him no good you know he was poisoned um he's had his tires cut from the inside so he would so the tire would blow out at the worst possible time to flip him and kill him um he i read in an article he did in the atlanta constitution and journal in 86 1986 he was asked was he afraid of anything 
And his response was he was not afraid pretty much of anything except a sniper's bullet. And they asked him where he was most fearful to race at. And he said, South Carolina. Because at, it, because at that time, we were losing our Af African-American leaders and our trendsetters in the 60s. We were losing them to the what? The sniper's bullet. Yeah. So see, see, these are some of the some of the pressures that he and my and my father and my uncle and my aunts and my grandmother and my cousins and anybody that was with us these are some of the pressures that we faced whenever we decided to walk out that front door and travel through the jim crow south to any of those races yeah. you know what i mean but you know if it's hard to do do it today if it's impossible do it tomorrow <laughs> That's what we, you know what I mean? That's what we, that's what we, that, that's, that's our credo. If you said we can't, we say we can. Now we got to show you. You know, that's what, you know, that's, that's what we, you know, that's what we're, that's our recipe. All right. So yeah, man, shout out to my grandfather, man, for Black History Month. This first day of, first day of Black History Month. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I appreciate you guys choosing to put the focus on him. In this capacity, you're the first. You're the first. You're the first podcast I've done. I, I, I accepted uh, for Black History Month. I am loaded up, jam packed every day. Um, but I'm glad I picked you all. You know what I mean. I feel like you all are the right platform, and I hope this. I hope this interview helps scale your efforts, and I hope you can get some good attention on it and some good viewers viewership. And I'm hoping that people learn from it. You know, Wendell Scott's legacy is worthy of a deep dive. And what you will find are so many things that feed into and tie into everyday life. You know what I mean? It'll be so many points of inspiration that you'll be able to stand on. And then we ain't going nowhere, nowhere, man. We here. Wendell Scott Legacy app. Okay. If you if you have on your app store, uh, whether that's Android or iPhone, if you type in Wendell Scott Legacy, you can download our app. Um, and that's important too because Anything that comes off of our app is official Wendell Scott positioning. It's official merchandise. It's an official book. Anything that you see on our app is official. There are uh, there are imposters worldwide that oftentimes try to manipulate, um, pillage, and plunder my grandfather's legacy for all types of reasons to gain profit, notoriety, what have you. Um, but I guess that just was that's what comes with his historical legacy. But our Wendell Scott legacy app is an official way to follow us and what we're doing. WendellScott.org is our official website. Um, we are the Wendell Scott Foundation on Facebook. Um, you can also find us on Instagram and X. Uh, TikTok. Come on, see us on TikTok. We, we getting our TikTok thing jumping. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, man. Thank you for caring. Absolutely. We appreciate you taking the time and to meet with us today. Um, and that's, you know, our goal was wanted to be education um, because it's, a, to your point, a lot of things get misconstrued and we had the pleasure and the opportunity here straight from the source. So um, yes. glad that you, you came, came to us and to set the record straight. Um, and y'all make sure that you go follow um, everything he said, follow the socials. We'll be sure when we release this episode to do the same thing. TV guys, tags and shouts um, just to make sure that, you know, you all benefit from 
this experience just as much as we do. All right. All right, y'all. Well, with that, we're going to be out. Enjoy right. your evening. There it is. Thank you guys for having me. I'm a phone call away and a trip you can make in a day. Let me know. Well, guys, we just interviewed Warwick Scott. Goodness gracious. That was, it's amazing. I can say personally, I'll just start this off. It's amazing how you can, you hear what the media says, you hear what Fox says, you hear what NBC says, you know, what the little bit of information that you get from media outlets when it comes to Wendell Scott, but hearing it from the source, that was awesome. Personally, my favorite part of the segment was about Wendell up the blick on him. That was crazy. That was real <laughs> life. I think I yes. have that meme. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a definitely, I'm, I'm putting that out. Hopefully we don't get in trouble. I'm definitely using that picture. That was, man, thank you, Art. Appreciate you for that. Man, listen, I I couldn't remember the source, and he mentioned it was the I Am Athlete interview, but I remembered hearing that story, and it has stuck with me for probably like three years. Like, I think it was pre-COVID, probably. Like, when since then, it's been at least three years. And I just thought it was the most badass story. <laughs> and I, I thought about it when once we got this booked, and I was like, I have to ask this. Like, these other questions are really important for me and like <laughs> what I want for the audience. But for me personally, like I just want to confirm. I knew it was true, but I just wanted to hear it straight, you know, as close to the source as I could. And it did not disappoint. I mean, that he really out here. Like he's that guy. Yeah, I mean, I guess you consider sort of the era that that took place. And I guess it's not super surprising. That's pretty much about the only thing you could do. That's true. Truth be told, yeah. even then, you kind of have to be careful with something like that. I just love the fact that it went exactly how he planned it. It's like, all right, you're here, and now you're not going to be a problem anymore. And he wasn't a problem. <laughs> I just think that's so perfect. Yeah, that's the part that actually blows my mind, because I'm like, there's no way this ends well, but it does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah was... thing we... Go ahead. No, I was just saying, that was awesome. I was just, I'm still mind blown. That's, man. Yeah. One thing I wanted to shout out, we, we discussed off air, we wanted to mention, uh, Warwick brought up, was that uh, the NASCAR race in Vegas in March is Wendell Scott Race Weekend. So they'll have special uh, decals on all the cars celebrating Wendell Scott's career. So uh, I'm sure if you listen to this, you're probably a NASCAR fan. But at this at time of recording next month, you'll uh, you'll be able to have something to look forward to, look forward to. So be on the lookout for that. Absolutely. Yeah, this is thank you, Warwick, again. Shout out to the Wendell Scott Foundation. Shout out to everybody involved, everything that y'all do to continue the growth of diversity and inclusion in the sport. Um, it really meant a lot for y'all to take the time and, and, and spend with us today for this interview. So uh, we just wanted to say our sincerest gratitudes just once again about the experience. And um, like y'all said, it might not be the last time we have them on. Might get them, might connect later on in the, in the season. So I'll be on the lookout for part two. But with that, we out. See you next time. <laughs>